During our Lap with a Legend series, we spent one week on Sarah. And by the way, we archive all of our messages online at colonialhill.org or via podcast at iTunes or Google Play. Uh, But today we're not talking about Sarah. That's how we started the summer. As we draw near the end of the summer, we're talking about her husband, Abraham. And we're talking about this idea of thinking big. Thinking big. I want to think big today. And um, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We've got it on the screen behind me. Genesis 15 says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Now let me remind you of what's kind of going on here. So Abraham and Sarah remained childless. And it's not that they didn't want a child. They had a very deep, deep desire to have children, but she'd been barren for decades. And I think we kind of forget the human element of this story. Every time one of her friends gets pregnant, every time they hear a child crying in the distance, they feel familiar pain. They've likely wept together over this. They've likely fought together over this. They felt the ache of emptiness and the confusion of helplessness because the one thing they've wanted most, they could not have. But on one day, on this day, God made a promise in verse five. Look at verse five. God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What I love about this verse is not what God says to Abraham, but what God does. Look at verse 5 again. Before he gave them the promise, where does he take Abraham? Outside. Apparently that doesn't wow you near like it wows me. I, I, I think we, myself included, could very easily read over part of that verse as just filler. But nothing in scripture is accidental. Think about the way that God did that. Abraham is holed up in a tent, probably not like this one, but just use your imagination. But Abraham's holed up in a tent, a man-made tent with a man-made ceiling. And it's capping the ceiling of what God wants to do in his life. He says, hey, Abraham, come outside. I want to take you out of your man-made environment. I want you to look up at the stars and count them. If indeed you can, so shall your offspring be. How long do you think it took Abraham to count all of those stars? Uh, You think he pulled an all-nighter? How many times did he lose count? 182, 183, 184. Did I already count that one? One, two, right? (laughs) But my guess is, is by the end of the night... He had an object lesson he wouldn't soon forget. I guarantee you, Abraham never looked at the night sky in the same way again because those stars were a constant reminder of God's promise. There's something about looking at in the night sky that recalibrates me spiritually. It reminds me how small I am and how big God truly is. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. For me, the heavens are just a giant billboard that are saying God is majestic. God is magnificent. God is huge. And we need to right-size God this morning. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And then a few verses later, it says that God said, let there be light. And there was light and mouth, uh, light flew out of the mouth of God at 186,000 miles per second. That's the speed of light. 186,000 miles per second is the speed of light. Psalm 33, 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, the starry hosts, by the breath of his mouth. He's breathing out stars. The starry hosts are coming out of the mouth of God. That's pretty crazy to think about. In fact, scientists say even today, 4,800 new stars are being born every second. Every second, 4,800 stars in the universe are being born. They're just coming out of the mouth. We've got these giant, great balls of fire as big as our sun and bigger. And by the way, our sun's pretty big. Scientists say that if our, our earth was the size of a golf ball, that the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's how big the sun is. Okay, I, I, that's like two and a half of me. So the earth is the size of a golf ball. The sun is two and a half of me. That's why it's so hot in August uh, in Jesus' name. <laughs> it's a big, big sun. Through the prophet Isaiah, he says, to whom will you compare me and who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes to the heaven. He says, who created all of these? And then he answers for himself, the one who leads forth the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Isn't that crazy? That at 4,800 stars are being born every moment and God knows each of them by name. The universe comes into existence and we don't even know how big the universe is. We don't. We really don't know. Uh, we have what we call the known universe, which translates as uh, this is as far as our telescopes can see. And then we build a bigger telescope and a better telescope and we see a little bit further and our idea of the known universe expands. But we still don't really know how big the known, we just know it's this big. It's the known universe. But we really don't know how big it is. We live in a universe so big that we use a ruler called a light year to measure things in space. And that's exactly what it sounds like. You're using uh, the measurement of light, 186,000 miles per second, every second for a whole year. That's 5.88 trillion miles. That's our ruler, like the, the yardstick doesn't do any good. And you know, the mile doesn't help. 5.88 trillion miles is the, the ruler that we use to get around our known universe. And I know that we throw around like million, billion, trillion. Those, those are just, that's a lot of, that's a lot. I don't know what that means. Um, but I want, I want to clarify because it's pretty impressive. A million. Okay. So a second, a million seconds ago, anybody want to guess a million seconds ago, how long ago that was? It's 12 days ago, July 23rd. It's on a Tuesday. I was a million seconds ago. What about a billion seconds ago? Anybody have a guess? A billion seconds ago was Thanksgiving Day, 1987. That's a billion seconds ago. And a trillion seconds ago? Yeah, don't even try to guess. 31,709 years ago before we even have any history of recorded time. So this ruler that we're measuring things in God's known universe is 5.88 trillion miles long. That's one light year. That, are you tracking with me? That's crazy, that's how we get around the universe. In our, now, just our galaxy, just our Milky Way galaxy consists of hundreds of billions of stars. Our galaxy is so big. Scientists say that, that if our solar system, okay, so our solar system is not the galaxy. You understand that, right? Our solar system is nine planets. Yeah, Pluto 
It's still, it's still one. I'm counting that one, NASA. Uh, but the nine planets and the sun, that's our solar system. That's not the whole galaxy. That's just the solar system in the galaxy. If our solar system was the size of a quarter, our galaxy would be the size of the North American continent. Those nine planets in the sun is a quarter, and our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is the size of the North American continent. We're doing comparisons. That's how scientists have, have tried to make us understand how big our galaxy truly is. Here's a composite pic of the Milky Way galaxy. We don't know. We've never been able to take a picture of it. We've taken a lot of pictures. This is what they assume it looks like. You say, where are we? Are we in the middle there? No, no. You don't want to be in the middle. That's pretty dangerous. Uh, <laughs> We're about two-thirds of the way out in between two of those spiral arms. You don't want to be in the spiral arms either. It's pretty dangerous in there. We're about two-thirds of the way out. We're right there. Yeah. You're like, I don't see us. Well, that's it. That's our solar system. That's all of them. All nine planets. Yeah. I don't see me, right? Well, uh, our galaxy is so big that if you had a friend that happened to live on the other side of the Milky Way galaxy, uh, it would take you 100,000 light years to get to them. So you would jump in your little space rocket and you would go 186,000 miles per second every second for 100,000 years and boop, you're at their place and hopefully you might be a little jet lag so you spend the night and then you get back in your jet rocket and you'd go back to your house 186,000 miles per second for 100,000 years and you're back home. That's just our galaxy, one of over 200 billion galaxies in our known universe. It's crazy. One of these stars, not the biggest, not the brightest, just a star, it's called the sun. And around it this morning are these nine orbiting planets. One of them is called Earth and it's our home. And if you know anything about geography, you can see the tip of Africa there in the center of the picture. You can see a wisp of cloud coming over the Cape of Good Hope. You can see the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, and you say, well, Reed, I don't see, I don't see neighborhoods, I don't see, I don't see backyards, I don't see hunger, I don't see people, I don't see cars, I don't see strife. And suddenly I'm beginning to feel like I'm very, very, very small. Maybe our lives aren't as grand as we made them out to be. Neil Armstrong said, I remember on the way home on Apollo 11, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. I put up my thumb and shut one eye, and my thumb blotted out the entire planet. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. I think the psalmist got it right when he said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars you have set into place. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? In 1977, we launched um, a spacecraft called Voyager. And it was on a one-way mission to take plant, uh, pictures of the planets in our solar system. So it was leaving planet Earth. It was going to take all of these pictures in succession uh, of, of our solar system. And it was never going to return. It was just going to return the pictures that it was taking. So we launched that out in 1977 on Valentine's Day of 1990, 13 years after it was launched. It's traveling away from Earth at 40,000 miles per hour. And NASA sent a message to Voyager and said, before you go any further, I want you to turn around and take a panoramic snapshot of everything that you've passed thus far. So it takes 60 pictures in succession. 
takes all these pictures, and each picture had 640,000 pixels. What's a pixel? A pixel are those little bitty tiny colors that make up a photograph. And they would send the pixels, Voyager would send the pixels, it was so far away, it's 3.7 billion miles away from Earth at this point, that it would send these pixels back, and the, each pixel was taking five and a half hours to get back to Earth. And there's 640,000 pixels per picture, and there's 60 pictures, and you thought you had slow Wi-Fi. <laughs> so they get back, and, and they, they get them all together, and they can pause you know, make the picture one picture. It's just one picture. And this is a, it was one of the most famous pictures in astronomy. It floored the men that saw this for the very first time. And I want to show it to you. And you go read. I used to throw pictures like that away at Walmart when my finger was over the, the lens. No, no, no. I want you to see. You say, what are those, the green and the pink and that little orange? What, is, what are those little, those little lines? Again, 3.7 billion miles away. Those are the Earth's sun rays. And caught, I don't know if you can see it, but caught in the middle of one of those sun rays is this little bitty dot. I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to show you a little closer image. There you see it. All right, let's back it up to the wide shot again. There you go. That's planet Earth. 3.7 billion miles away from planet Earth. One famous astronomer said of it, everyone who's ever lived their lives, lived them out on that tiny pale blue dot that he then called a, a, a moat of dust caught in a ray of sunshine. You're making me feel small, Pastor Reed. That's the point. I want you to feel small because it's significant in significance. Because as tiny as we are, we are still known and loved by majesty who sent for us and cared for us. And just like he could name every star, he could name everybody in this room and everybody that's watching online or on television. And he could know how many hairs are on the top of your head. We serve a big God who wants to invite you into a relationship that will never end. So that begs the question, why does God take Abraham outside of the tent? Why do that? Why just leave him in the tent and say, hey, uh, there's a lot of stars out there and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a lot of, a lot of kids. Why didn't he do it? The answer is so simple, it almost eludes us. He goes, I want you to come out here. Because as long as Abraham was in his tent, his vision was obscured. He was just seeing this ceiling. And said, so, well, this is, I guess, all that God can do. It kept the promises of God, the greatness of God, the omnipotence of God out of sight. And there's the old adage, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And so God said, come here, look, count the stars, if you can even do that, so shall your offspring be. God wanted to remind Abraham how big he is. So he told Abraham to go outside and do a little stargazing. I think it's God's way of saving, saying, Abe, don't put a ceiling on what I can do. Don't put a ceiling on what I can do. Listen, we're about to enter 14 days of prayer and fasting. We did this in April and it was an amazing, amazing time. We had 60 plus people join us every single morning. We're going to have prayer right here in this room at 6 a.m. Yeah, mm -hmm. before the sun gets up. I'll be here. It'll be awesome. From 6, and I promise we will dismiss you at 7. And if you say, I got to go to work at 6.45, come till 6.30. Come late. It's fine. If you get here at 6.15, just show up. Some of you say, well, I've got kids. I can't get them. Bring your kids. I know you couldn't in April because they had school. Bring them. That's fine. They can take a nap. It'll be great. <laughs> 
Maybe you pray with this at home, but I would love for you to start thinking big. Let's get God out of this box. Let's take the ceiling off of God and say, God, what would you want to do if you could do anything in my life? If you could do anything in this city, if you could do anything with this church, what would you want to do? Let's begin to think big. Let's take the ceiling off of God and let him remind us. And when you get here in the morning, I hope you'll gaze up and do a little stargazing of your own. And go, okay, God, I'm coming into this 14 days with massive expectations. This report I got from the doctor that's terminal, I only care what the great physician says. This marriage that looks like there's no hope for it, I'm gonna believe in your name that you can restore it. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands, God, be my third strand. That relationship is not quickly broken. And my finances that are in, in a in mess, you shall supply all my needs. That's what Philippians 4 says. So I'm just going to trust you, even though it looks really bad in the bank account. Whatever that is, let's just think big. Let's expect big things. And I'm going to encourage you to fast. Fast something. I don't care what you fast. You can fast uh, a food, uh, a type of food. You can fast. I don't know if I'd fast all foods. If you do that, just consult your physician. Make sure that's okay and that's safe for you to do. Um, fast a meal per day. You can fast something like social media or television. There's just something in your heart. And I just, same thing. I just ask you to ask God, God, what do you want me to fast? This morning at four o'clock, God gave me a new thing to fast. I told JC this morning, I said, well, I got a new thing. I'm supposed to fast. And so that's what I'm going to fast. But I just, God, what do you want me to, what do you want me to fast? And try it. Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast, just fast something, fast broccoli. I don't care what you fast, just fast something. I don't even like broccoli. That'll be easy. That just whatever, just find something where you, it, because it's disconnecting from the world and it's reconnecting on a deeper level with God. That's what fasting is. It's saying, God, this is something that's not necessarily bad. The thing I'm fasting is not bad. It's not bad for me. It's actually very good for me, but I'm a little too dependent on it. And so God said, I want you to get rid of this for 14 days and give me all that you have and just watch me work. And some of the greatest revelations in my life, some of the, the times where I've heard God speak almost audibly to me, it's when I fasted. So I encourage you, 14 days, try it and see. See what God does. I just want us to start thinking big, taking the ceiling off of God. A.W. Tozer once said, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils but a high view of God is a solution to 10,000 temporal problems. Isn't that good? Let's have a high view of God. I think this is what happens in so many of our lives. We, we tend to reduce God to the size of our biggest problem. We tend to reduce God to the size of our biggest issue or our, our biggest hurt, our biggest pain, our biggest fear, our biggest sin. And I'm convinced your biggest problem in life, listen, whatever you think that might be, your biggest problem in life is not your biggest problem in life. Your biggest problem in life is when you don't believe God is bigger than your biggest problem in life. Let me say that again, because I, I, there was one amen I heard and maybe another one over here, but that was a, I'm preaching better than y'all have responded. Okay. Uh, <laughs> your biggest problem in life is not the biggest problem in life. Your biggest problem in life is not believing that God is bigger than your biggest problem in life. There you go. So whatever that, whatever that is, you just go, okay, God, okay, I'm, I'm giving this to you. Whatever that is, let's believe him. Let's think big and say, God, I know this is big, but you're bigger. You're bigger. I'm just going to believe you for the big, big thing in my life. Isaiah 55, 9 says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
Astrophysicists have discovered a galaxy in our known universe that is 13.7 billion light years away. Do the math on that. 5.88 trillion miles per light year times 13.7 billion light years. It's pretty far. It's about 80 sextillion miles or an eight with 22 zeros after it miles away from us. So you think that that distance is almost incomprehensible and yet our heavenly father is saying as high as the heavens are above the earth. Like your best thought on your best day falls about 80 sextillion miles short of God's thought on what he wants to do in your life. So let's start thinking big church. You think here, he goes, "Uh uh-uh, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's how I think. Those are my ways. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, all limitations go out the window. Why? Because God isn't confined to our space-time continuum. He's an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-powerful God. All-powerful, ever-present. By leaning into that relationship with Jesus, God takes away the ceilings off of our lives. I think that's the heart of the story with Abraham here. Abraham, listen. I made the stars. I made the universe. I made everything that you see tonight. I make kids. And yes, you're 100 years old. At the time, he was 75. Yeah. But I'm God. Nothing is impossible with me. Nothing is impossible with me. Nothing. By the way, that's all throughout this book. Matthew 17, 20 says it. Matthew 19, 26 says it. Luke 1, 37 says it. Philippians 4, 13 says it. Mark 10, 27. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing is impossible. Listen to this. Genesis 18. This is a little bit later. Three chapters after he says all this to to Abraham. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's a question I'd love to post to you, Colonial Hill Baptist Church. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Because there's something that you might have said yes to, but I want you to start thinking big and take the ceiling and the limitations off the God that we serve. There's nothing that is too hard for the Lord. And sure, you're going to have moments of doubt along the way. I think that that's natural. Abraham did too. I think Romans 4 sums up his faith really, really well. Listen to this. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was, without, since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being, listen to this, fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he had promised. So here's the question. Are you fully persuaded that God has the power to do whatever he promises in here. Are you fully persuaded of that? What man-made ceiling have you put on God? What limitation have you put on him and said, ah, I don't know if he can do that. Maybe you think that you're too old. That was their problem. Does it make sense logically that someone who's 90 years old is past the point of childbearing, especially since she's been barren for decades? Sure. 
But God doesn't think like we think. And he's not ordinary. He's extraordinary. And I believe it's never too late to become who God designed you to be. And our God is the God of second chances. And it may seem like the time has passed for you, but it's never too late with God. Abraham and Sarah stand as proof. And the other end of that spectrum of people who say, I, I feel like I'm too young. Well, God historically uses young people. The mother of Jesus was likely between 13 and 16 years old when she gave birth to the son of God. Most of the disciples were teenagers or in their early 20s. David was just a little boy when he fought Goliath. Other limitations you might have said, I, I feel uneducated. I feel unexperienced. I feel I'm not spiritual enough. Have I covered everybody in the room? Let me tell you about one more limitation. It's never been done that way before. I've heard that. Never been done that way before. Well, let's talk to Jeff Bezos, who was told there's no way you can sell books without a bookstore. He owns Amazon.com, by the way. When I look at Jesus, I often ask myself, why were the Pharisees so resistant to Jesus? Why were they so threatened by him? Because Jesus challenged their assumptions. We can't put God in a box. We can't put this church in a box. I'm constantly dreaming up new ways to reach people and to disciple people, things we've never done or imagined yet. Let's stop putting God in a man-made ceiling on what God can do through us at Colonial Hill and begin to think big. Amen, everybody? Let's just try it. Let's see what God will do. Before I close today, I want to, I want to take you on a little journey outward. Um, let's go on a little, a little expedition. You game? Let's go out a thousand light years to the Vela Pulsar. The Vela Pulsar. What's a pulsar? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> this is what Wikipedia says. A star that explodes into a supernova that can collapse back on itself into a magnetic, magnetic intensity. I just like it. It looks like this amazing bow and arrow that's shooting out this intense arrow. Pretty cool. That's a thousand light years. You just traveling in your space rocket. Hey, there's a Vela Pulsar. Let's jump out 8,000 light years to the Hourglass Nebula. I think God just put that one out there for fun. <laughs> it's actually, if you see in the center of that eyeball, there's like this, this white, that's a, that's a star that is dying and it's emitting all of these gases and creating this really beautiful effect, but it just kind of looks like an eyeball sitting there looking at you in space. Can you imagine like the Hubble telescope lining up and go, whoa, he's looking back at me, right? That's just, <laughs> this is 28 million light years away. So 28 million times 5.88 trillion, it's the Sombrero Galaxy. Isn't that beautiful? It looks like a churro from Taco John sitting in space. <laughs> it's 50,000 light years wide, trillions of miles thick. It doesn't look that big because we're almost sitting parallel to it. It's sitting at a six degree uh, tilt. What's it doing? Just glorifying God. There are people that see all of these galaxies and, and they have made the argument, well, there must be other life out there somewhere. There might be other inhabitants and other galaxies out there. Okay, I'll give you maybe, maybe, but maybe, maybe. All of these things are not there to give life to other creatures, other beings, other life forms. Maybe they're all out there to just give praise and honor and glory to God. Maybe that's what they're there for. I just look at how good God is. I want to take you way out. I can't even describe how far out this is. We're going to go so far out. This is, I, I don't even know how many light years away it is. It's just, it's just pretty far out there. But it's, it's maybe the coolest thing you're ever going to see. Check this out. He created everything you've seen today.
the scriptures say, through Jesus, God made the world. Paul wrote, he created all things, things in heaven and on earth. The creator of it all coming to that pale blue dot in this amazing universe to die on a cross that he himself created. You hear the words of Paul in Philippians 2. This is Jesus who being in the very nature God, he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You hear the writer of Psalms speaking thousands of years before this happened. And you know why. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his transgressions from us our transgressions from us. Listen, I don't, I don't know where you are this morning, but I do know this. Long before you made a mess out of your life, God decided he was going to give his for you. See, we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God and the penalty or the wages of that sin, according to Romans 3, is death. That's what you and I deserve. Ephesians 2, 3 says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh like the rest. We were by nature deserving wrath. We deserve wrath. We deserve death. But God did not give you what your sins deserve. He gave his son, Jesus, what our sins deserve instead. He died on the cross so that you might live eternally, John 3, in heaven and abundantly on earth. John 10. That's what God wants for you. He did that for you because he desperately loves you. It's significant. It's significance. You start thinking about how big God is, and yet he would come to that pale blue dot to die for you because he loves you that much. Can I show you one more image? I wish this was original with me. I saw this Another pastor present this, and it just floored me. And I saw it over a decade ago, and I've actually shared it at this church when I was a youth pastor here, but it's just so amazing. This is 31 million light years away. It's the darling of astronomy. It's called the Whirlpool Galaxy. It's made up of hundreds of billions of stars. Some scientists estimate 300 to 500 billion stars in the Whirlpool Galaxy. It's called the Whirlpool Galaxy because it looks like it's just going to suck you right in. For a long time, they thought it was going to like suck in this white blob thing on the right side of the screen, but that's a whole nother galaxy. And they're so far apart that it's going to be like billions of years from now, they'll finally just pass and they won't even touch each other. They're way far apart. You say, what, what are those little pink things? Well, those are cute. No, those are uh, star-forming incubators. We talked about earlier, 4,800 new stars are being born every single second, and that's things that are making stars right now every single second. But here's the best part of this galaxy. If you look on the Hubble website, and I encourage you, you'll be there all day, hubblesite.org, Hubble Telescope, hubblesite.org. If you go to their website and you start looking up the Whirlpool Galaxy, one of the pictures that you can click on is the X-structure core at the center of the Whirlpool Galaxy. And that's, that's interesting. What does that mean? So you click on the X-structure core at the center of the Whirlpool Galaxy. And what, the, what Hubble did is they, they zoomed in. They said, well, I want to see what's in the middle of that Whirlpool Galaxy. Let's, let's focus. Let's zoom in and see what's in the middle. And it's the X-structure core at the center of the Whirlpool Galaxy. And this is the picture that came back. 
Isn't that amazing? I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's a cross, but come on. The X structure core. Isn't that our X? What's beautiful is from the pale blue dot to 31 million light years away, the message is the same. I love you. I love you. Can't you imagine God just getting so tickled when they're like focusing and they're zooming and he's like, oh, buddy, you're about to see something pretty cool. Church, I, gotta, I want you to think big. We serve a big God. And I, know, I want you to know that big God loves you big too. I don't care what you came in carrying. It doesn't matter. I don't care what you did last night. It doesn't matter. God loves you and he forgives you. And he's got a message of grace and forgiveness and repentance this morning. He says, I want to invite you into an eternal relationship with me that will last forever. It's the best. Here's what I love to do as we close today. I love to pray with you. And there's people here and there's people watching online that say, I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ today. And I want to walk you through that. It's a promise that you can leave with today. You can say, okay, read, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm doing it. I'm doing it today. So here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for every head to bow and every eye to close. And the reason I do that is because I don't want you to do this because a neighbor's doing this. And I don't want you to not do it because your neighbor's next to you looking at you. I want this to be between you and the Lord alone. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you a real simple question. Who's ready to make that commitment? In just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And the reason I do that is I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. And I want to know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not going to make you stand up and do a dance. I just want to know who I'm praying for. And then we're going to pray together. And you're going to see the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus happen right now. Start right now. You will leave here a different person than you came in. So if that's you, say, read, include me in your prayer. I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I want you to lift your hand. Lift your hand. Awesome. 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 Wow. Unbelievable. I love it. I know that some of you are watching at home and you're raising your hand as well. I love that. I love that. Let me pray for you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray with me, okay? Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? So for the 15, 20 of you that raised your hand this morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just whisper this over your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth to die on that cross for my sins. That you were buried and that you rose again. And that you give me the power to live forever as well by putting my faith in you. By getting into a relationship with you. Come into my life. Lead it. I'm giving you the reins. You're in control. Forgive me of my sin and start me over with you directing my days. And then just tell him how much you love him. Just say, I love you. He loves you so much. Just tell him you love him. We do love you, Jesus. And we ask this in that name. Amen. Can we just give a hand clap for all of those? There were a whole lot today that put there. Come on, you can do better than that, church. Come on. That's awesome. So awesome.